ready? service we already have the next CD um, ready and we've got just a few more songs left to finish it but um you know I can't sing I can do God's given me a lot of gifts but I can't sing at all I'm practically tone deaf that's why I can't play the piano by ear every song I play I had to have shit music to it and um, I have a photographic memory to that and I, I learned music theory God taught me music theory so I can that's why I can play all over but I, I can't play by ear but anyway when we did our first CD and we did that song I said Mark just I want to I want to I want to do something on the CD besides just play piano I want to do something so the one line on the whole CD on the song where it says um uh, I once was lost thing almighty now I'm found yeah <laughs> that yeah is me if you listen to the CD that yeah he had to auto-tune it but it's still me <clears throat> I got one syllable in one syllable in is what I got okay so we're in a series called Perfect Gifts for Imperfect People. Put it up there. And uh, have y'all enjoyed this series? I know it's a little bit different than normal because we're studying the life of people in the Bible and there's a lot of scripture. Today's going to be a little bit different. Um, today, my burden is this. How can God put something perfect inside of something that is imperfect and it still remain perfect? Because the very definition of perfect is there can't be any imperfection. So how can God take something that is perfect from him and put it inside of a vessel like this that is imperfect, okay? The title of the sermon today in part four is this, Spiritual Gifts of Grace. <clears throat> spiritual Gifts of Grace. Now, I'm not one of those, a lot of preachers, they'll, they'll give you a title to the sermon and you have no idea what it's about, right? The title will be, um, you know, how to overcome in difficult times. Well, there's a thousand things you could preach on that. So when I give a title, I like for people to know exactly what it is we're talking about for 30 minutes. Don't let this title deceive you. We're not talking about the spiritual gifts. We're talking about how they're from grace. 
and not of works. And we don't earn it, we don't deserve it, but he gives it to us. And a gift is something, all you do is receive it. There's not, you can't pay for it, all you can do is receive it, okay? 1 Corinthians 12 talks about some spiritual gifts that he's given to Christians who are members of a church. If you study 1 Corinthians 12 theologically correct, uh, you'll find that it's the people who've decided to join a church family, they're members of a body. But it says this, now about the spiritual gifts given by the Holy Spirit, there are varieties of spiritual gifts which are special abilities given by what? By grace. That's where you get the title of the sermon, Spiritual Gifts of Grace. An extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit operating in believers. To one, there's a gift of wisdom. To another, there's a gift of faith. To another, a gift of healing. Imagine if you were somebody that was given the gift of healing. If that's you, you need to go visit people in the hospital with our church team. You need to come see me. We need healing. To another, discernment. To another, a gift of miracles. There are people in this room who could pray for a miracle and it happened because you have a gift of miracles that the Holy Spirit's given you. This is amazing. To another, prophecy. To another, speaking in tongues. To another, interpretation. God is placed in the church. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, miracles. Gifts of healing. Gifts of helping, gifts of guidance, and on and on and on it goes. Here's, here's my burden. We see our humanity, and we count ourselves out for being used by God. We're so focused on our humanity. We're so focused on other people's humanity. We don't even see the gift in them. So let me give you a good introduction, then we'll get into some really, really great stuff today. Um, in order for you to understand the introduction to the sermon, we all have to agree that I am the most humble man in all of the state of South Carolina. Okay, we have to first agree on that. That there's no pride in me whatsoever. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very, actually I've worked really hard to become humble. I'm very proud of how humble I've become over the years. And so I'm so humble. Um, you're gonna find this really hard to believe. This is so funny, because I've been preaching since 2006. This is so funny, it's very embarrassing, but it blows my mind. You know how many people I've had lately tell me that I need to start listening to my own sermons? You know how many people I flicked off when they said that? No, I didn't. Uh, I wanted to, I used my other finger, but anyway, um, so I am so prideful, or at least I, I, I battle pride so strongly, that I can preach a sermon two times and not think about myself at all and only think about y'all. That's a lot of pride, that I can speak for 30 minutes on something from the Bible and not even think about myself. So for the past four weeks, we've been on this series, Perfect Gifts Imperfect People, and it wasn't until just this past week then I finally started listening to my sermon. Because here's why. I know that I'm stupid natural, right? We've been talking about stupid natural versus supernatural. I know I'm stupid natural. I can prove to you I'm stupid natural. I have the list. The, in fact, if you can look it up online with the government, there's a list of how stupid natural I am in the government database, okay? There's a list. But I did not realize until this past week that I'm supernatural. And so I wanna, I'm, I'm telling you this so that you can be encouraged that God can use you. So for the past four weeks, I've had the most horrible um, battle and horrible time of my entire life. I've never, ever, 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 not even close, uh, been through what I'm going through right now in life. Not even close. Horrible. I mean, horrible so bad. I'm seeing a psychiatrist every week. I'm on 900 milligrams of lithium. I'm seeing a counselor every week. I'm going to inner healing. I'm going to deliverance three times a week with pastors in the area. I'm doing everything I can just to be able to get out of bed. I'm so depressed. I want to die. I'm battling suicidal thoughts. I have unforgiveness, hatred, demons coming out of me. Horrible. I'm in such a bad place. I spent my Friday night at Kelly's house with women over 50 years old watching them play Bunko. Yeah. 
That's how horrible I'm doing. I sat there and ate meatloaf while 12 ladies from the church who were over 50 years old rolled dice and got excited as if they had won the lottery. I'm bad off right now. I am bad off. I'm bad off, okay? I'm so bad off. Here's what's so funny is our church has never been so healthy as it has been in the past four weeks since the day we started the church. We've never had such unity. We've never had such powerful things happen. Listen, it gets better. It gets better. Normally, I study about 20 hours a week. Lately, I've only been studying about five hours because I can barely even get out of bed. I'm so depressed. And last Sunday, 50 people got saved in our church. 50. It gets more. We used to get excited when our sermons got over 1,000 views on Facebook. In fact, Daryl Strawberry was here a few weeks ago, and his sermon has about 1,100 views on Facebook. The past few weeks, the sermons have been averaging over 220,000 views on Facebook. Out of the blue. Out of the blue. We had the best festival we've ever had in the history of Solid Rock yesterday. Here's what I'm saying. God is doing all this without my help. I thought all this time that the church was my responsibility. The Bible doesn't say because of John Paul, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It says because of Jesus, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. God is doing all of this supernatural stuff when I am at my worst, which proves to me it has nothing to do with me. If I just obey what God's asking me to do with my gift, he does everything he's supposed to do supernaturally. I'm saying this to you so you can leave here and some of you could actually pray for somebody that has cancer and they be healed because you laid hands on them, not because of who you are, but because of Christ inside of you. Second Peter 4, 1 4 says this, His divine power has given us everything we need, exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers. You get to take part. You get to take part in divine and supernatural nature, not because of you, but because who's living inside of you. And if we could leave this place realizing I have a gift, God wants to use my gift in spite of my imperfection. He can still do supernatural things for me in my life. James 5, 17 says Elijah was just as human as we are. He was bipolar if you study the Bible. He was up, down, up, down, up, down. Yet when he prayed no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. That is supernatural. You have no problem believing there's something natural about you. I want you to leave this place knowing there's something supernatural inside of you. Man, if God can do what he's doing, and y'all keep praying for me, of course, but my goodness, I was ama- I'm amazed. I thought all this time it was because of me. I've been preaching since 2006, and I thought it was because of me. If I was this, and if I did that, and if I was good here, and if I was good there, and if I prayed this much every single day, then God, then God, then God. I realize that God will do his part even if I crawl over and die. God, he is still, when we are faithless, he is faithful. So I I have three points for you today, and they're all, I'm going to teach you, the way I'm teaching you how you can have spiritual gifts of grace, I'm going to teach it by teaching you about three covenants in the Bible, okay? But before we get to the three covenants, I just at least want to go over the seven covenants that are in the Bible so you can kind of get an idea of what they are. So there's the, the Adamic covenant, which where God promised him that one of his seed would crush Satan. And, of course, that took place, Jesus. There's the Noahic covenant where God made a covenant and said, I won't flood the earth. He also said, I'll never be angry again if you really study it. The Abrahamic and the Mosaic covenant we're covering today. The Davidic covenant, God promised him that one of his seed would always be on the throne, which is an amazing, if you study the life of David, every time one of his um, his, his sons, grandsons, great-grandsons, they did something wrong, God would show up and say, you know what, I was going to punish you, but I have a covenant with David, so I'm going to let you go. Beautiful. Uh, The Israeli covenant, which actually gives you the borders of Israel. If you want to know what the borders of Israel are, they're in the Bible. 
You don't need to look at, you know, look on the news. You can look in the Bible because it's already been written thousands of years ago. And then the new covenant, which we're going to talk about today. Okay. So three covenants and point number one for your notes. If you're ready, say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Point number one is the Mosaic covenant or the old covenant or the old Testament covenant and Testament are the same thing. Now, um, the new covenant is compared to the Abrahamic covenant, but the new covenant is contrasted with the Mosaic covenant. This is the law. This is the law that was given. And just to show you some contrast, uh, in Exodus 32, when the law was given, there was a sound from heaven. There was fire. The law was written on tablets of stone, and 3,000 people died. But in Acts 2, when the Spirit was given, there was a sound from heaven. There was fire. The law was written on hearts of flesh, and 3,000 people were saved. That's really cool. Okay, so, uh, Mosaic Covenant. Um, when God speaks to us, he is so good that he speaks to us in a dialect and language and terms that we can understand. Uh, when Jesus was preaching to fishermen, he talked about fish. When he's preaching to, to um, farmers, he was talking about seed sowing. Okay, So when God speaks to you or when he speaks to me, he, he's so kind to talk to us in our language. And he talks to us in ways that we can understand what he's saying. So we don't have to you know, open up a dictionary and, and try to figure out what's going on. When God was talking to Moses and the children of Israel about having a covenant with them, there were two main covenants in the world at that time. There were two main treaties in the world. And God and Moses knew this because Moses was raised in the house of Pharaoh. So when God is speaking to Moses about having a treaty or a covenant, he's talking in terms that Moses grew up understanding. For your notes, there is the Suzerain Vassal Treaty and there was the Parity Treaty. Okay? The Suzerain Vassal Treaty um, is between a supreme and a servant. Or it's between a stronger and a lesser. Or it's between a powerful and a weaker. Um, the way it would work is this with the suzerain vassal. A king would go to another king or, the, or a tribe leader somewhere and say, listen, um, I could squash you like a bug. I could destroy you in a heartbeat. I could burn down your village and kill all the women and children. But it wouldn't do me any good to do that because then I'd have to rebuild it. I'd have to repopulate it. It cost me a lot of money and stuff. So instead of that, how about this? Because I could squash you and destroy you. How about we have a treaty? How about we have a covenant that says uh, I'm in charge and you're my servant? And you'll pay taxes and you'll do this and this for me. But in return, I'll protect you and I'll keep you alive. And if you're ever in need, I'll provide for you. But you'll be my servant forever. You understand? In fact, and I hope you're, I hope you're getting ahead of me as I'm talking. Um, in fact, in the Suzerain Vassal Treaty, archaeologists have found several uh, versions of these treaties from 1,500 years ago to 4,000 years ago. And what they always find is they always find that one version of the treaty was carved in stone. And the long version of the treaty was written on papyrus or paper. Are you, are you ahead of me at all? Um, uh, some of y'all are, some of you aren't. Okay. Um, what is, what, what is the short version called of the law that was given to Moses? The Ten Commandments. And you know what the long version is called? Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It was written on paper. You with me? And, and, and so God, when he made a covenant with them, that's the way. He, I could squash you like a bug. But I won't. If you'll do this, then I'll do this. Okay, just to show you the other one, there's a parity treaty. And remember this. The parity treaty, or it was called the family treaty. It was a nickname. It was with two kings of equal power. And here's what would happen. One king would go to another and say, listen, if we fight, um, I could win or you could win. We don't know. But somebody's going to die and somebody's going to lose. So instead of us fighting, let's get a parity treaty together that says, you know what, we're equals. So if anyone comes after you, they're really coming after me. If anyone comes after me, they're really coming after you, and we will be equal partners. 
and we'll respect each other and we'll have peace. That's the parity treaty. Now, I want to show you some scriptures that have the suzerain vassal treaty, just so you can see it in the Bible. Uh, 2 Kings 17.3 says, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against him, and Hoshea became his vassal and paid him tribute money. He said, okay, I'll serve you. You don't kill me, and I'll give you whatever you want. 2 Kings 24.1, in his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. So God wants a covenant with the Israelites but he could not do a parity covenant because there was nobody equal. There were two million Israelites. Even if there were 200 million, they could not overpower God. So the only way that God could have a covenant with them was the suzerain vassal covenant that says, if you do this, then I'll do this. And if you do that, then I'll do that. We see it all through the old law, uh, but just a real specific area is Deuteronomy chapter 28, which is the blessings and curses chapter. And there's 14 blessings and there's 54 curses, which doesn't really seem fair. But anyway, it says this. If you obey the voice, if you, if you, if you come to church, if you tithe, if you do the right thing, if you forgive, if you're nice, if you're kind, if you're respectful, if you honor your parents, if you, if you, if you, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God and do all his commandments, all these blessings will come upon you. Verse 15 and then on to verse uh, 54 verses later. But if you don't do it. If you won't do it, the voice of the Lord says, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. The reason I need you to understand this, because if God's going to use you supernaturally, you have to start th stop thinking you're under the old covenant and start realizing that you're under the new covenant and you receive the gifts by grace through faith. Because there's a lot of preaching out there that's still preaching the old covenant. If you, then God. If you, then. And I'm not saying we get rid of the law of sowing and reaping. And I'm not saying we get rid of consequences. But I'm saying the Bible is filled with things that God does just because he's faithful. And one of them is to give you gifts supernaturally. That's why the gifts and callings are without repentance. They're irrevocable. Because it's a gift. How can you say, well, I have a gift for you, but you better do this and this and this if you're going to receive the gift. No, no, you receive it by, by grace through faith. It's not if and then. If you do this, then God will, no, 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 you get the gift anyway. God can use you anyway. Um, uh, Hebrews 8, 6 says, now Jesus is also a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if the first covenant, the one with Moses, had been faultless, there'd be no place to have salt for a second. But because finding fault with them, God said, Behold, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers when I led them out of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant. You didn't do this, so I can't do this. That's the old covenant. We're not under that anymore. We're not under it anymore, okay? So now I'm going to show you the Abrahamic covenant. Point number two is Abrahamic covenant. Now remember, the old covenant was contrasted with the new covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is compared to the new covenant. So as I am talking to you about Abraham and God, I need you to be thinking about you and Jesus. As I'm talking about Abraham, you need to be thinking about Jesus and the new covenant that we have with him. Okay, so watch this. Abrahamic covenant. Um, Genesis 17, 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I'll make a covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you. My covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. Okay, here's the problem. God did not want a suzerain vassal covenant. He wanted a parity covenant. 
God wants somebody that can be, he wants a relationship. It's not, you can't have a relationship with ants. If you had an ant farm that you could squash anytime you wanted to, it wouldn't be a very good relationship. You want a relationship with somebody that's equal to you. You want to be able to talk with each other and share with each other and love each other. You want it to be equal, okay? And so God's thinking, what am I going to do? Now, I'm going to show you what he did. Um, he has this covenant with Abraham, and I'm going to tell you what happens, then I'll read it to you in the Bible. When it was time to make the covenant, because with every covenant, there's a way to get in on it, right? Uh, if, you're, if you go to buy a house from somebody, that's a covenant. You go to a lawyer, you sign papers, you hand them a check. If you, um, back in the Western days, they spit in their hands, right? And okay, I promise I'm going to give you my horse for $30 or whatever it is. Um, or they, they, they're blood covenants, right? You cut your hand and you, yeah, that's nasty. But kids, they would do pinky promises. That's a covenant, right? Uh, shaking of hands, all that. You're with me, right? Or I promise, da, 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 da. That's a covenant. So with the way the covenant worked back then, there had to be a sacrifice. Blood had to be shed is what God said. And when it came time, this is so funny, when it came time for God to make a covenant with Abraham, Abraham's all excited, he's getting everything ready, oh, I'm going to be in relationship with God, and God puts him to sleep. Because we are so sin-infected that even when we're awake, even if we weren't talking, we, we have sin inside of us, and it'll mess it up. I mean, you, how many, you, you, you always, I'm always saying something stupid. Man, I can't even tell you how many times in a situation I've said something dumb, um, I've said, you know, so-and-so, is this, your sis is this your mom? And she said, no, that's my sister. I've done that before. Or how many, how, when is your baby due? I'm not pregnant. I've done that before. Uh, all, all of it. Okay, so he's making a covenant with Abraham. And it says in Genesis 15, 10, Abraham slayed the animals. He gets all the animals all ready. And in verse 12, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. God put him to sleep. And Abram saw a vision of a smoking oven, which represents God, and a flaming torch, which represents the sun, and it passed between the carcasses, so that day God made this covenant with Abraham. Okay, here's how the covenant would work, right? You got two, if they're two equal kings, or in this case it was God the Father and God the Son, and the animals are there, there's blood, there's slain, and they walk through it together, and after they walk through, they both go in opposite directions like this, which signifies, by the way, that the, the, the new covenant is also a, a testament to marriage. In the Bible it's an analogy of marriage, but it signifies we're walking together, but even if one of us goes the wrong way, we will always come back and be together in the end. Remember, God said in Hebrews 13, 5, the thing is, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Listen, you can leave God. You can walk away from God. But if you're saved, at some point, you're going to come back around. And you're going you're to come back to him. So, that's, so he makes that covenant with Abram. And Abram's asleep. And the father and the son make the covenant together, which is so amazing because God wanted an equal. He wanted an equal. And let me show you this. is so cool. Hebrews 6, 13 says, when God made a promise to Abraham... Because he can swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. I swear to myself. I swear, there's no one greater. I swear to myself that I'll bless you and I'll multiply you. So God the Father and God the Son make a covenant. And Abraham wakes up. How does he get on it? Because the Bible says that God made the covenant with Abraham. Here's how he gets on it. He believed. I told you, every covenant has a way to connect. It, it, with salvation, you don't got to sign. You don't have to walk the aisle. You don't have to say the sinner's prayer. All of those things is the fruit of the fact that you're saved by grace. If you had to do something, there'd be no grace. If you had to blink three times or raise your hand or whatever, all of those things, walking the aisle, that's all the fruit of the fact you're already saved. You could be hanging on a cross about to die and give your life to Jesus, not walk an aisle, not get baptized, nothing else, and you're going to heaven because we see that in the Bible. So what did Abraham have to do? Romans 4, 3 says this. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. 
Remember, this is a comparison to the new covenant. Um, righteousness is the state or position of being in right standing with God. It is not the state of doing right. And, and you say, well, how do we know he believed? Well, you do know at one point God said, take your only son up that hill and sacrifice him to me. And the Bible says Abraham believed so strongly that it, you know, God stopped the knife and a ram was in the thicket. But if God had not stopped the knife, Abraham believed so strongly that God would raise his son from the dead. That's how much he believed. And that's the fruit of the fact that you're already saved. So all the things we do is the fruit showing that we're saved. And, and you do know 2,000 years ago, uh, most theologians believe on that same hill, on a hill called Mount Calvary, the father made a covenant with the son, and the father did not stop the knife that day. And the spear went into his side, and we get in on that covenant because we believe. So I, I want to show you, and I'm sorry that y'all won't be able to see this, but I'll turn it around when I'm done. I wanted to show you kind of, a visual to help you see what I'm talking about today, okay? It says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted. It was accounted to him for righteousness. Accounted, it's an accounting term. It's a mathematical term, like you have a bank account, right? And you know how you can zell people money and you zell that. Uh, talk to me. Okay, you know, whatever, whatever. I'm talking to myself. And so, whatever. We got three accounts here, okay? Three accounts. One, two, and three, okay? Three accounts. And uh, the accounts were three hands. Okay, so this guy is going to be somebody that's not the best person in the world, done a lot of bad things, but done a little bit of good. So who can we use? We'll use John Paul. That's the good one right there, okay? <laughs> this one is a guy who's, uh, who lived a very, very godly life and helped a lot of people in his life. So we're going to use Billy Graham there. How about that? Is that good? Yeah. So Billy Graham. Okay, and then this is going to be a perfect person. Who's a perfect person? Jesus. Very good. We got Jesus, okay? Okay, so three accounts. Uh, we need, a, we need a, a sign for our accounts that helps us understand like a code word or something for what we're going to do. So if we, if we see an S somewhere, uh, that equals sin. Okay? In fact, you know what it's also going to equal? It's also going to e equal stupid natural. Okay? Stupid natural. There you go. I, 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 yeah, I measured in handwriting. And then the R is going to equal righteous. Okay. Righteous, so that's doing everything right perfectly. So, if you look at my life, um, my life has a lot of S's in it, right? Did somebody just say, heck yeah? <laughs> What'd you say? Okay, so if I, uh, if I put Betty up here, the board's not big enough to hold all the S's, okay? So, I'm joking, oh, come on! Come on! Okay, okay, you're with me, okay, okay. S, okay, S's, but, 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 say with me, but I've done a lot of good things in my life too, right? I use my gifts for Jesus, so there's an R there. I'm a faithful tither, I'm a giver, but I love to give above that. Um, I'm a good father. Um, let's see what else. I got. I'm okay, I'll do a little, I'm a, there's a little R for pastor right there. Um, oh, there was this one time when I was a teenager and this, this uh, girl, she needed help. No, that's an S. Okay, and so... <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, okay, so ours, okay, okay, a few R's now. Okay, what does Billy Graham's account look like? If he's got an account, there's a lot of R's in his account, wouldn't you say? R's, 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 he, he, he's, he got saved as a teenager. But, you know, I saw an interview one time, and Billy Graham said that he had an addiction to coffee for many, many years. It wasn't Caspian coffee either, so I'm going to give him an S for that. So there's S for that. He said he disobeyed his parents a few times. Um, he said that one time he got really upset with somebody, had unforgiveness in his heart. So there's a few S's there, okay? We good with that? Yeah. What does Jesus' account look like? 
That's what this account looks like, right? Which one of these accounts do you relate to, I wonder? Like, and you don't have to say anything, but do you, do, you, do you relate to mine where, you know, your life is just seems like, what in the world am I doing? Uh, does your account look like Billy Graham, where, you know, you, you, you're, maybe you're an only child and, you know, you always obeyed your parents and all that. Whose account do you resonate with more? If this is what my account looks like, how can God use me to do things that are supernatural? If this is what my account looks like, how can God use me? How, how can I get to heaven? That's very true. You know, but even my R and Billy Graham's R, it doesn't look like Jesus's R. You know why? Isaiah 64, 6 says this. We are all unclean and sin infected. And even our best deeds, our best deeds, the, even all the righteousness we have apart from Jesus is as filthy Rag, not even a clean rag. Like, I'd be happy if it was just a clean rag. A filthy rag. So you know what? These R's of R's could equal rags. Could equal rags. So the way this works is it's so amazing. So um, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was on the cross, God took all of the S's in my account he took all of the S's in Billy Graham's account, and you're not going to like this. He took all of the S's in Adolf Hitler's account. He took every S from the entire world's account, past, present, and future, and he put them inside of his son's account. Every, nobody is in hell for sin. Adolf Hitler is not in hell for sin. Nobody's in heaven because they did everything right. Sin's already been taken care of. It's already been taken care of. Everything you're going to do was already taken care of. I'll prove it to you. John 1, 29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He took it away. It is not in your account. When He sees you, He doesn't see it because it's already been taken care of. You can dwell on it. You can think about it. You can ask forgiveness a hundred times. He's already taken care of it. The sin is gone. Nobody's in hell for sin. So if that's the case, then why isn't the whole world in heaven? Here's why. Whenever you decide to believe, the R that was in his account gets put in the R in your account. For me, it was in my 20s. For Billy Graham, it was when he was a teenager. Here's my question. When did that happen for you? Because the day that that happened for you, from that day forward, God can use you to do supernatural things. If you'll get your mind out of the old covenant and realize sin's been taken care of, and when you believe, his righteousness was put inside of your account. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might, in hopes, please become the righteousness of God. 2,000 years ago when God made that covenant with his son, and the knife did not stop and went inside of his side. That day, the covenant was made. And whoever believes gets in on it. And I love this. This is such an amazing verse. 2 Timothy 2.13 says this. Even when we're faithless, he is faithful to his word. Here's why. He can't deny himself. The covenant was made with himself. The covenant was made with himself. And we get in on it. Because we believe. So point number three for your notes is this. Christ's covenant. This is the new covenant. Galatians 3.9. Watch this. Ready? 
So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing, which is righteousness, Abraham received because of his faith. You are now in right standing with God because you believe. If you're trying to live in a relationship with God under if and then, you'll constantly see your faults, your frailties, your weaknesses, your sins, and you'll discount yourself from being used by God supernaturally. But you could put your hands on someone who needs healing and pray a miracle into existence in their life today if you just believe. That's how you get in on the covenant. So I want to close with something I've shown you before, and um, I want to show you again. Um, I'm holding a Bible, and, and I'm going to turn to in between Malachi and Matthew. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, and uh, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Okay, and I'm going to hold it where you can see it. In other words, uh, the left side is the Old Covenant, and the right side is the New Covenant. Are you with me? So I want to show you some stupid natural people in the Old Covenant, and I want to show you what God says about them in the New Covenant. Okay? Genesis 9, 21, Noah became drunk from wine and lay naked in his tent. That's a good scripture the kids can memorize back in children's church, isn't it? <laughs> Mommy, I learned a scripture today. Well, let me show you what the New Covenant says in Hebrews eleven seven. Noah obeyed God. He built a boat and received the righteousness that comes by faith. How, how can that be? Because the blood of Jesus can erase, 2,000 years ago, erased all the S's. And put the R's into his account when he believed. Okay. Genesis 16 verse 4. Abraham had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. Hebrews 11, 11, Abraham trusted God to keep his promise. No, he didn't. He didn't. We just read he didn't. The Bible says he did not trust God to keep his promise. He tried working it on his own. Is the Bible contradicting itself or is the blood of Jesus so powerful that it can't even be written? Because the Bible says God throws into the sea of forgetfulness. Amen. God don't even remember anymore. Let's keep going. Exodus 2.12. These are great heroes of faith, aren't they? Moses beat the Egyptian to death and hid the body in the sand. I feel like we're reading the police reports in Zocasty when you go down and see someone, you know, you see their, 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 their picture on the news. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. by faith Moses saw God and held on to his purpose. He didn't hold on to his purpose. He went out there and beat someone to death. Judges 16, 1, Samson saw a prostitute and had sex with her. You know, the Bible just does not even, it just doesn't hold back at all, does it? God, just be honest. Just tell us what happened. Hebrews eleven thirty three. Samson administered justice, obtained promised blessings, and closed the mouth of lions. You know what would be amazing? is if you could start seeing people in the new covenant. If you could start seeing yourself in the new covenant, you know how your life would change? Uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of weirdos things on some Monday night weird thing with people. And those people, they're, they're meeting, they're not part of Solid Rock, and they don't see people in the new covenant. They still see people under if and then. They're very religious and very weird and con con condemning. You need to get around people to see you and others under the new covenant. That'll, that'll change your life. It, it'll really change your life. Because listen, that person in this church has a spiritual gift that you might need. That might be the one that's going to bring healing into your life. That might be the one that's going to give you a word of wisdom. That might be the one that's going to build your faith for that new business you're trying to get. And you're too busy looking at them in the old covenant. 
The, the, it's a gift of grace. Okay, let's keep nine, Genesis 19.36. Both the daughters of Lot had a child with their father. They got him drunk. This is incest. Surely God's going to say, hey, this guy needed some help. 2 Peter 2.7. Lot lived right and was a good man. What the hell? Like, how do you, how do you, how, how can, do you, do you, can you, can you, can you see how powerful it was when Jesus dropped his head and said, it is finished? Can you, can you see what the whole, what happened to the whole world in that moment? And my last one, this is my favorite, this is my man. Second Samuel chapter 11. David saw a woman bathing. There's pornography. He lay with her. There's sexual morality. She became pregnant. There's a child out of wedlock. So King David sent her husband to the front line of fighting so he would die. Uriah died. There's murder. And watch what God says about him in Acts 13, 22. I found David to be a man after my own heart. He does everything? God. You don't remember the whole on the roof incident? God, come on. You don't remember that whole when he was looking at the website and actually typed in something wrong? God, come on. God, he does everything I want him to do. The gifts of God in your life aren't based on your performance. They're based on your position. And listen, your position is based on Christ's performance. And if you'll believe that you can be used with spiritual gifts of grace. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heads bowed, eyes closed. We never like to close our service out without giving the Holy Spirit a chance to speak to you. I bet you've been seeing yourself under the old covenant all this time. I bet you've been living your life with Jesus based on if and then. I just want you to just, just talk to Jesus right now where you're at. And just, just tell him you're sorry. You didn't realize how powerful his death and resurrection was. Tell him, tell him you're sorry for thinking that now you, it, it wasn't enough for him. Now you had to pay for it. And that, that, that's what we do. Whenever we, we, we see our humanity and we leave out the divinity in us, it's like we're saying, Jesus, I got to do something to pay for what I've done wrong. And he's saying, isn't what I did enough? I also want you to start asking God what your gift is, what your spiritual gift is. Read the list. What are you passionate about? What flows naturally through you? What, what energizes you? What gives you excitement if you, were, if you had this gift? Because everyone's got one. It's a gift of grace. If you're here today and you've been living under the old covenant, can you just lift your hands so I can pray for you? Okay, hands up. Just leave them up for 30 seconds. Lord, right now I rebuke the demon of condemnation. I rebuke the demon of guilt and shame. I rebuke the demon that lies and says we're just human. That's it. And I release the supernatural. I release the spiritual. I release the gifts of grace in Jesus' name. 
Lord, in Jesus' name, I ask right now that you release those gifts to everyone in this room. Let them see what their gift is. Let them be bold with it, confident in you, in what you've done. Lord, we thank you that all of your righteousness was put into each one of our accounts the day we believed. So, Lord, we thank you for using imperfect people to do perfect things. God, thank you for using us in mighty ways. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing in our church right now. Thank you for your restoration. Thank you for your healing. Thank you for the miraculous being operated in this place. Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. Amen. Let's stand around.